Good morning, church. If you have your Bible apps or your Bibles, join us in Acts chapter 8. Just a reminder, uh, we're going to do this just from time to time, but just want to review real quickly, if you're new to the Bible app, how you can follow along right from the Bible app to where our service is. So if you open up the Bible app on your phone or tablet, whatever device you have, in the upper left-hand corner, you'll notice three lines. It's in the very top left-hand corner. If you push on those three lines and scroll down, you'll see live. Click on live if you want to let the government track you. Allow the Bible app to, to tell your device where you're located. If not, you can enter the zip code. The North Canton zip code is 44720. 44720, and then once you enter the zip code, Mission View Church will pop up, and you can follow along with the service right on the Bible app. You can let us know prayer requests. You can uh, answer some polls for us and allow us to get to know you a little bit better. So if you have the Bible app, we'd really encourage you to follow along that way, and uh, if not, we, we'd always encourage you to bring the Bible as well. So I'm so glad that you're here. This morning, we're going to be in Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. I love this time of year. Uh, I'm a huge sports fan. And so now is just a great, great time of year. We've got the World Series going on. Now, I hate both teams in the World Series, but it's still the World Series. So that's incredible. Uh, college football in the heart of college football. Even though there were only two good games yesterday, it's still fun and exciting to watch. I, I just love sports. The NBA season's getting ready to kick off. Now is, the, in my opinion, the best time of year for sports. So much better than March Madness. You might disagree. That's all right. You're allowed to be wrong. But it's just just a great time of year for sports. One of the things that I love about sports is it's easy to gauge success. It's easy to gauge success in sports. At the end of every contest, at the end of every game, every match, whatever sports you're following, at the end, there's a winner and there's a loser. And after you play a number of, a number of games or events, there's, in the standings, you generally see who the better team is because, as one coach famously put it, you are what your record says you are. And one of the things that I love about sports is that it gives us very clear indications of success. It allows us to gauge success really easily. Now, I come from a little bit of a younger tilt, I'll, I'll grant you that, but even back in my day of ruling Little League Diamonds in my dreams, I was terrible, but even in my day of playing Little League Baseball, only one team got a trophy. That was it. Now somewhere in the five years after I hung up the cleats and retired from Green Youth Federation Baseball, and where the next crop of Green Youth Federation Baseball players came in, all of a sudden a shift happened. And all of a sudden now, everybody got a trophy because it made everybody feel better. And all of a sudden, everybody got a trophy for participating. In my day, that was unheard of. And now what happens is even something in sports, we become a little bit delusional to. We become a little bit, instead of just being defined by what our record says we are, we're defined by, oh, we tried. Oh, we're good. And you see it all over the place. No names, please, all right? But you see signs that like, yay, we're the best football team, even if you've only won three games all year. Again, no names, please. You see all of these things, and all of a sudden, what, what was once such an easy gauge for success has disappeared a little bit. Now, in life and in sports, sometimes things are easier to gauge success than others. One of the reasons that 
I somewhat enjoy yard work, and I'm a little hesitant to share that this morning because my wife's in here. Uh, one, of, one of the reasons that I, I enjoy yard work is you can see a sense of completion. You can see when you've accomplished something. And in that regard, it's very similar to, to a sporting event. At the end of the day, if your goal was to weed the, the garden and you rid the garden of all the weeds, you easily see that you've won. You, you've gained success. Some jobs are like that, but some jobs aren't. And one of the challenges that we run into in ministry is oftentimes it becomes very, very difficult to define success. It becomes very difficult for churches to define what is successful. And so we go to all kinds of, of measuring sticks and we try all kinds of, of formulas and methods to, to best indicate how we're being successful because everybody wants to be part of something successful. And so what the church does is, is we look and we define success by, by how many people are, are in the building. Or we define success of, of a Sunday sermon by how many people raised the hand or, or walked forward or filled out a response card. But I think sometimes the ways that we would define success in ministry is not necessarily the same way that God would define success. This morning in Acts chapter 8, we're going to see something very peculiar, and yet something that I love. And we're going to begin this morning in verse 26. And Acts 8, 26 says this, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Now for us to fully understand what the angel of the Lord was asking Philip to do, we have to go back earlier in Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 7 ends with the stoning of Stephen. And all of a sudden, persecution is on the front lines for the church in Jerusalem. Remember, and Steve quoted it this morning, but remember the great commission that Jesus gave his followers as he was leaving this world was to go and make disciples. But the beginning portion of Acts, what we see is that there's a lot of action in Jerusalem, but it hasn't really taken off yet. The Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost, and amazing things are taking place in Jerusalem, but it isn't until after persecution comes and after the stoning of Stephen that we really see the message taken and spread. So Stephen stoned at the end of Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 8, Saul is going through and just ravaging the church. He's murdering people. He's drawing people out. He, he's, on, he's on a rampage. And Philip goes to Samaria. Philip goes to Samaria. He leaves Jerusalem. He goes to Samaria. And he sees a revival happen in that town. He sees a number of people in Samaria give their lives to Jesus Christ. 
A great work is happening in Samaria. And anybody would look at that and say, he's being successful. People's lives are, are being turned around. They're following after Jesus. They're being baptized. And now all of a sudden the Spirit of God comes to Philip. And the Spirit of God says, leave Samaria. And go to the desert. See, if we're not careful, what can happen is we can look at Samaria like success. But when we're being obedient to God and he's calling us away from that place, if we're not seeing with the mind and the heart of God, then what can happen is we can all of a sudden think we're leaving success to go to a desert? And that's why we've got to answer the question. How do we, as a church, how do we, as God's people, define success? So God calls Philip from a successful city ministry to leave the city, to go interact with one individual and one person. Verse 27 says, and he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Now God's called Philip. And he rose and he went. And he comes across an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace. Now in those days what kingdoms would do when they went and they overtook populations is they would save the, the best looking, the most well built, the strongest they would save a portion of, of the town that they overtook and they would enslave those people and they would all of a sudden assign them with the task of working in their courts, working in their, in their system. But seeing that they were the strongest, the best looking, the, the cream of the crop, if you will, they wanted to, they wanted to, to put some safeguards in place. Otherwise, they were worried that a harem would develop and there'd be all kinds of drama. Just look at Solomon's life. And so one of, the, one of the practices that kingdoms at that time put into practice is they would castrate those individuals. They would castrate those individuals. So here is an Ethiopian who's been castrated. He works in, as a court official of Candace now the queen of the Ethiopians, and this man is in charge of all of the money. He is in charge of all of the money. That's his backstory. He's obviously bright, intelligent, probably a little type A if you're going to be in charge of the money. It's generally good to put it the more type A the better. At least if you're my accountant, I want you to be very type A. So he's probably a little bit in, in that regard, and he's on a spiritual journey. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. And now he was returning. And he was seated in a chariot. 
and reading Isaiah. Notice he's spiritually seeking. Goes to Jerusalem. He's reading Isaiah. And, and for those of you who are here this morning, and you're not really sure where you stand spiritually. For those of you who are here this morning and, and you're not really sure how you feel about God or Jesus Christ. You're, you're not really sure about what all we're doing here. I, I just, I just want to first, just once again, let you know you're welcome here. And we're glad that you're part of this community. And, and you don't have to have it all figured out to be here. And so we're glad that you're here. But the way I would challenge you a little bit is, is if you're in that camp and if you're searching, I would just challenge you to make sure that you know what you're searching for. My wife and I, three weeks ago, uh, we moved into our, our house, and, and we just love it. We should. It's, it's only been three weeks for us. If you hate a house in three weeks, you probably made a bad decision. And, and so we, we love our house right now, and I'm sure we're going to find all kinds of things that need repaired and replaced, and, and Brooke's going to have a, a honeydew list that's, that's long. And I understand all of that. Um, and one of my benefits is I'm not handy at all, so I can just, like, trim half that honeydew list off because... She's at the point where she's like, yeah, don't touch that tool or that one or that one or that one. I'm still allowed to get a hammer, but I'm not sure how much longer I'm allowed to have a hammer. Anyways, we've been in our house for three weeks. We love our house. It was painstaking to find the house we ultimately settled on. We went through more than 40 houses. That is a lot of floor plans to look through. That is a lot of kitchens to be like, mm, no. That is a lot of floral bathrooms that I'm just like, I'll give you one, but anything more than that, I just feel a little reduced in my role, and I can't do more than one. If you have multiple floral bathrooms, God bless you. Good for you. It's just I don't have to look at them every morning. So that's good for you. We went through 40 different houses. And halfway through the process, I just looked at her. And, you know, going through over 20 houses at the time, it really brings out the best in one another. And I just looked at her on, on one drive home, and I just said, what are we doing? And she just looked at me like, you idiot. We're trying to find a house. And then she said, we're trying to find a house. She didn't say, you idiot. But I, if, if it were, I could sense it in her eyes. And, and I just said, no, what are we doing? And she's like, we're trying to find a house. Like, she went slower. Like, I didn't understand it the first time. And I'm like, you know what we need to do? We need to figure out what we want. And part of our problem when we started was we wanted a house. But that's a, pretty, that's a pretty broad thing to aim at. I mean, it starts there. But then we had to narrow the scope. We want three bedrooms, four bedrooms, two bedrooms. We want one bathroom, two bathrooms, two and a half baths, three baths. And so if you're here and you're searching, what I want to challenge you to do is, is define what you're aiming at. 
and start broad. Maybe it's hope. Maybe it's peace. Maybe it's love. Maybe it's just an end to feeling miserable. Start broad. And then narrow your focus. And what we see is the Ethiopian, he's on a spiritual journey. And he's narrowing his focus. He goes to Jerusalem. He's reading the prophet Isaiah. He's getting narrower and narrower as he seeks what he's looking for. And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Wouldn't that be nice? I mean, wouldn't it be nice if sometimes when we're reading the Bible and all of a sudden we're like, that one's a little difficult. If God would just send somebody up to us right away and be like, hey, do you understand it? Do you, un- do you understand what, what you're reading? I know that'd be nice for me sometimes. There's sometimes I'm reading God's word and I'm just like, that's, that's, a, little, that's a little difficult to grasp. Now, as a Christ follower, God's given us his Holy Spirit. And so within us, the Spirit of God communicates the truth of God's Word. But, but even so, there are times where it would be so nice if God would just send a Philip. I mean, just here God in his supernatural wisdom does exactly that. And Philip ran to him. I heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. Asked, do you understand what you're reading? How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and and sit with him. For those of you who are Christ followers, and you're mature in your faith, be willing to be a Philip. Be willing to take the time to explain what seems so easy to someone who has difficulty understanding. When, when I get in my car now, I don't think about anything. I turn the key, put the car in the gear I want, don't even think about which way I need to turn the wheel to, to reverse or turn, don't think about which way I need to push the turn signal. I mean, I'm on autopilot. I don't even think about those things. And spiritually, the same thing can happen. The the more you grow in Christ, the more you understand about God. And so what happens is all of a sudden when you reread something that you've already put into practice in your life, it's a good reminder, but, but we forget how difficult it was the first time we were 15 and a half sitting in a car and all of a sudden asking the question of, Which way do I have to hit the turn signal for it to indicate I want to turn right? Which way do I turn the key? 
things that are just so basic and, and the majority of us don't even think about now. At one point, we had to stop, think about it, process it, and learn. And spiritually, the same thing is true. And so never be too busy or never let a situation go by where you don't take the time to explain what may seem obvious to you. Because it might not be obvious to somebody else. And so Philip goes and he climbs in the chariot. Now the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the Spirit of God directed the Ethiopian in his spiritual quest, in his search for God, to open the prophet of Isaiah, where the prophecy of Isaiah is directly referring to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ in Isaiah chapter 53. The prophecy of Jesus Christ, God's Son, taking on the form of humanity, loving us enough in our sin and our rebellion against God to pour out His life upon a cross as a sacrifice and in His perfection allow me to be seen in God's eyes as perfect because Jesus Christ paid the price for me. And so God directs the Ethiopian to this portion of Scripture and he's reading Isaiah 53 about the hope of Jesus and the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. You know what I love about this? Philip didn't climb into the chariot with a preconceived message or dialogue. He allowed the Spirit of God to work. He allowed the Spirit of God to draw the heart of the Ethiopian to Isaiah chapter 53 to read about the sacrifice of Jesus, and then he allows organically the conversation to happen. He doesn't attempt to limit God's work. Can't help but think when 1 Peter chapter 3 tells us to always be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have, that this is what that's referring to. Not in particular, but the mindset behind this principle. You know what I've been guilty of? I've been guilty of trying to share Jesus with people and trying to work them into like a trap of a conversation. I call it a conversation, but really it's I've just got all the bullet points that I want you to hear. And so I'm just waiting for you to say a keyword. And as soon as I hear the keyword, I'm just talking over you and I'm just going through bullet point after bullet point after bullet point. Because it's a formula and it's easy and it's comfortable 
And I think it's the wrong approach. He waits to hear the questions of the Ethiopian eunuch. And then he responds. And Christ followers, you know what that forces us to do? It forces us to be more informed. It forces us to be ready wherever and however the conversation takes form. It allows us more opportunities because we're no longer waiting on that key word. But it allows us in everyday opportunities just to share our story, just to be ready with what God's done in our lives, and and then to talk about somebody's questions and say, well, here's the hope I have, and point them to the truths of Scripture. And so the challenge today is don't feel like you have to have a conversation memorized. Or a platform that somebody else needs to just luckily find their way into. Be ready in every situation. Be ready in every circumstance. All right, we got to go. And and as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from, from being baptized? So so Philip communicates the hope that we have through what Jesus did when Jesus was, was slaughtered on the cross. He rose again three days later, defeating death, hell, and the grave, a sacrifice that is, that is pleasing to God and acceptable to God. God made him who had no sin, Jesus, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Philip explains all these principles to the Ethiopian. The Ethiopian accepts Christ into his life. He turns his life over to God and he says, what's preventing me from being baptized today? And if we don't understand the Old Testament, that that question can seem a little empty or, or almost theatrical. But Deuteronomy 23 verse 1 is a very clear answer to what would have prevented the Ethiopian from intimacy with God before Jesus Christ. Deut- Deuteronomy 23.1, and we're not going to turn there this morning, but the principle behind Deuteronomy 23.1 is this. Anyone who was castrated or had a genital mutation was not welcome in the temple. In the Old Testament, that's where people went to worship God. Ethiopian, I've got to believe, is asking Philip, what's preventing me from having intimacy with God? And that makes the end of this chapter even more remarkable. And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water. See what Philip's saying? Christ removed the barrier. Christ removed the barrier. I want you to know if you're here today and you're searching, Christ removed the barrier between you and God. 
I want you to know if your heart's far from God and you're just fighting it, Christ removed the barrier. And it'll take you where you are. And he wants you today, right where you are, mistakes, regrets, and all of it. Christ doesn't expect you to clean your life up before you come to him. And as a church, we shouldn't either. Christ removed the barrier, and he's there today, and he's calling out after you. You're free to come to God. No matter what you've done. And the chariot stops. And they both went down into the water. Philip and the eunuch. And he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. And he was baptized. So I want to challenge you. If Christ if you've accepted and received Christ's sacrifice on your behalf, if you'd allowed him to remove the barrier of your sin between a relationship of you and, and God, and you've asked Christ to come into your life and, and you're a Christian, then what I want to challenge you is this is the starting point. This is where it starts. We're, we're all about something right now called the pursuit, and, and we've, we've just begun just laying out how our life response needs to be, and it starts with us turning from ourselves and turning to God in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And as we work on becoming his disciples, becoming his imitators, the first step in that process is, is being baptized. Now, the way we practice that, and, and this is a little bit of a churchy word, I'm sorry, the way we're going to practice that here at Mission View is by something called immersion. And, and all that means is you're going all the way under, all right? And, and on November 24th, if you've not yet been baptized, but you've given your heart to Jesus Christ, then that's your day. That's your day. I don't know why, you, I don't know why you've put it off, but, but that's your day. November 24th, it's a month. You, you can let us know on, on the Bible app if you're following the live event. You can come talk to Steve or I in the commons afterwards. You can call us at the office this week. You can send us an email, um, but you can send us a Facebook message. But November 24th is your day. No more excuses. If you're a follower of Jesus, we're going we're gonna to just, we're going to soak you, all right? We're, we're going to dunk you. The reason we're going to practice that by immersion here at Mission View is this. We, we feel it's the best symbol uh, for, for how it was done in the New Testament. You'll notice they came... Philip brought the Ethiopian up out, out of the water. Um, and it also symbolizes a couple things. One, it symbolizes Christ. His, his death, his burial, and his resurrection for us. And another thing it symbolizes is our own lives. And as we get in the water, it's, it's us and our old self. The Bible says when we become a Christ follower, uh, we've transitioned from death to life. We've cast off the old self. We've put on a new self. And so it, it's just a visual picture of us 
taking our old self off, dying to ourself, and, and being raised up out of the water in our new self in, in who Jesus is. And that's on November 24th. So I'm going to challenge you if you, you haven't been baptized. That's your day. No more hesitancy. Say, Brian, I'm a, I'm a Christ follower. I, I share, you know, I, I. This doesn't really apply to me. In a minute, we're going to see just what I think is the incredible story of a guy named Aaron Shaw. Now, what you won't see in the video. Because he's a humble guy. Is Jason Bruckner, who, who works with young adult ministry here at the church, Merge on Sunday nights. And by the way, if you're a young adult and you haven't been going to Merge, you're out of your mind. It's awesome. Uh, six o'clock, Sunday nights. Jason, uh, you, you might know him as Skinny Legs. Uh, Jason Skinny Legs Bruckner will be in the Commons. That's his nickname. Um, and, and he'd love to talk to you more about Merge. But in a minute, you're going to see a video. And this is what happens when we take the truth of God's word and put it into practice. And this is the powerful results. And so before we watch this video, I just want to challenge you. If you're here, you've followed God, have a relationship with his son, Jesus, you've already been baptized and you're like, wow, what, what more could I do? Watch this video. If you're here and you haven't been baptized, watch this video. And on November 24th, let me get in a pool with you and take you all the way under. Check this out. Um, so I grew up uh, in a normal Christian home, Christian parents, uh, Christian family. the opportunity, um, but I didn't know, I didn't know why, um, why I should, uh, God loves me anyway, um, why am, why, why should I get baptized, and it really, for me, it came down to the obstacles, stopped me from, from taking that next step, um, the formalities of it, um, the, the signing up, um, the making a big deal, and, and doing it in front of all these people, but I really didn't have the conviction because I couldn't understand it.
guy about Jesus. And um, he says to repent and to be baptized. And the eunuch, he sees water. And he says, stop. So, if you follow Jesus, don't wait. If you follow Jesus and you've been baptized, invest in the lives of others. Always be ready and speak the truth. Maybe, just maybe, one day you'll take a friend down into a pond into a lake and have the privilege of baptizing them as well. Don't wait. Don't wait. God bless you. We'll see you in the comments.